Amen. Welcome. Welcome to the Calling Community Church. It's so good to see you. It's so awesome to know that um, that God knew that you'd be here today. Like he was in the school. He got in early. Didn't have to have a key. Just got in early. <laughs> Just kind of waiting around for you to be here. And I'm excited for that. Um, do me a favor. Make sure that you have somebody next to you today. All right? Somebody next to you today. So if not, you have to move around a little bit. Make you feel a little uncomfortable. Barb's back there. She has. Make sure you have somebody next to you today. We had an uh, opportunity this weekend to, to say goodbye to my father-in-law. And it just struck me that uh, I just think it's nice to have people around us. Like, we were blessed with friends and family. Church, you guys did so amazing. You blessed our family. You prayed for us. You fed us. You're continuing to, continuing to feed us. There's food waiting for us at our house, even as we speak. And I just, I just hate the thought of someone just feeling alone and not feeling like they have somebody to be, be close to them. Um, but anyway, so I just wanted to to say thank you as publicly for the way you guys have blessed our family. If you didn't know, my father-in-law was almost 94 years old, went to be with the Lord on Monday, uh, last Monday. We uh, had the service on Friday night. It was beautiful. My, all my children shared about their grandpa and shared about what he meant to them. And a couple of our girls were able to share publicly, and that was, uh, that was powerful for a dad to just stand back and see that. And... Uh, so, thank you. If you ever felt like, you know what, I'd love to just meet with Brady and his wife and, and get to know them a little bit more, and, and I would love to hear your story. I love stories. Every one of you has a story to tell. And if you say, that would be, that'd be valuable to us. We don't really have an opportunity to do that on a Sunday morning, because as soon as we're done, we have to pack up and, and go on out of the school but we are reserving our Wednesday nights in our, in our home, or we'll come to your home. And you can feed us if you want. You don't have to. You don't feel obligated to do that. But if you say, I would love to just meet, get to know your story a little bit more, Brady, and tell you mine, Wednesday nights is going to be for that. We're going to set our Wednesday nights aside. Uh, and so we'll come. You just connect with us. In the bulletin, it has some information about how you can get a hold of us. I'm pretty easy to, to track down. And that's just something significant because... You are more than just the person who sits in this chair. You, uh, you matter to us, and we would love to get to know you. Now, that's, we're putting that on you. You, need to, you can reach out to us, and we would uh, figure out ways to make that happen. Especially if we can get a couple, uh, if young families wanted to come with and bring their kids, and they could all play, and we could get to know each other. It doesn't have to just be one person. We could, we could do multiple people, people at one time. So we're going to be talking about this morning, we're going to be talking about the book of Numbers the book of Numbers, and some people say, well, in church, they just, they're just, all they're concerned about, well, the money, and they're concerned about how many people are in the seats. They're concerned about numbers. I'm just a number in church. Well, you know what? Numbers are important, because if we started counting, and we started right over here, first we'd have Amelia, who is super small and beautiful and precious. She'd be number one, then Eliza would be number two, Emma number three. We'd just go, and we'd just number everybody off, because each individual number is connected to a name. And each individual name is connected to 
a story. And each individual story is unique and powerful. And so numbers matter. They, they, they matter to God. God was doing a census of his people. Therefore, it's called numbers. We're going to count the people. How many people? Who do we have? Who's, who's here? Who's with us? In this church, we, we've tried the system of passing this book around, and it's cumbersome, and it gets in the way, and we're trying to pay attention. And it, it does produce something good for us because it does give us an idea of who's new and who's here. Who, who's an f- unfamiliar name that we didn't know we don't have a record of yet? And so this morning, we're going we're gonna to keep doing that system, but we're going to try something different next week, okay? So just roll with it. We're going to try something different. And what we want to happen is that everybody that comes into the door, we want them to let us know they're here. Now, it'd be really cool if we could figure out some way to do that um, digitally or via text message or whatever, but the signal's not great in this room, and sometimes that's just not going to happen. But we're gonna, we want to make sure that everybody that walks in the door... Now, you can come in here and be anonymous if you want. You can sit in the back, don't sign anything, don't let anybody know you're here, because you might say, uh, I'm, I'm just not going to come back next week, or I'm just a visitor today, I'm just a guest of someone. Anything, I don't really want them to have my information. That's fine if you, if you don't want to give it to us. But we would love for you to do that if you would. Someone said to me, um, the statistic shows that within seven minutes of someone walking in the door, they've already determined whether they're going to come back or not. I was like, wow, that's not a lot of time. Man, if we don't get it right in seven minutes and they're not going to come back, then, then that's, that's kind of sad. <laughs> Sad for us and sad for them, I guess. But in seven minutes, people will say, you know what? I just don't, I don't know. They don't have everything on the menu that I like. And I'm not sh- particularly sure about this church. And probably not going to come back. We're going to go visit a different church. And that's, that's fine, too, because everybody can make that choice. But hopefully that's not true, though. Seven minutes, that's not a lot of time. Maybe it's true in certain businesses. And maybe it is true in church life. I don't know. But we're going to take a census every Sunday morning because we want to know who's here so that we can follow up with you and we can uh, stay connected. So tomorrow, or uh, not tomorrow, but next week, our goal is to start at 10.30. And we're going to do the music first, okay? We're going st- to try something different next week. We're going to start out. We're going we're gonna to have music. And then we'll just share a few announcements, and then we'll have the message. I encourage you, come early if you can. Come at 10. 10.15 if, 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 you, if that's 10 too early. But come and... And get to know somebody else around you. Like, meet some new people. Because if you feel like, I don't really feel connected, I don't really know anyone, well, come early enough where we can make that happen. Come, come early enough to make that happen. So that's just an a invitation for you. So the Hebrew name for the, name, for the word numbers is a word that is, uh, it goes like this. It's called Bamidbar. And it means this. It means in the desert. This was all going on in the desert. They're at Mount Sinai. They're in the desert. They're getting ready to go up into the promised land. But in the book of Numbers, it's a recording, basically, of the 38 years that they wandered around in the desert before they were ready to pass into the uh, promised land. Some significant things about this book. It's multiple times, over 100 times, it says, in some form or another, the Lord spoke to Moses. The Lord spoke to Moses. And then Moses then spoke to the people. He took what he heard and he spoke 
to the people. Here's an overarching message in the book of Numbers. I'm going to just teach you some things out of this book today. God honors faith, but punishes unbelief. God honors faith, but punishes unbelief. All throughout, people did not trust his word. They didn't didn't believe what he said. They didn't trust him. And, and, And let's just put this out here real quick this morning. The root of all sin, that is, anything that dishonors God, is unbelief. Is unbelief. So we'll hopefully unpack that for you this morning. A lack of trust and believing that God really meant what he said. You know, um, was it uh, Dr. Seuss? Wasn't there an elephant on Dr. Seuss? Dr. Seuss that said something like, you can believe what he said. He said what he meant. The elephant is faithful 100%. Well, you can believe what God has said because he's always said what he meant. God can be trusted 100%. So if you don't remember anything else today, maybe you remember that. So let's look at an example from the very beginning of time. Let's look at Genesis chapter 2, okay? Now, I'm going to give you some references. You can turn there if you want. You don't don't necessarily have to. But Genesis chapter 2, verse 16 and 17, listen to what God says to Adam and Eve. You are free to eat from any tree in the garden, okay? But you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat from it, you will certainly die. You can eat from any tree in the garden, right? But you must not eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat from it, you'll certainly die. Later on in uh, chapter 3, verse 1, listen to what the enemy who is so good at deceiving us, this is what he says, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? Now, ladies and gentlemen, did God say that? No. Now we can trust what God says. God said you can eat from any tree but this one particular tree. So the the devil or the serpent says, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? And then the serpent in 3.4 says, You will not certainly die, the serpent said. But didn't God say you will certainly die? You see where I'm going with this? Like, understanding, you can trust what God says. He said this was going to happen, but then there's this voice in her head, oh, really? Come on, there's a little bit of room for gray here, right? I don't think God really said that. You won't certainly die, right? Well, then we know what happened. (laughs) They, uh, Spiritually, they died, and then they were separated from God. So let's look at, uh, I just wanted to set that up for you, but let's look at Numbers chapter 13. We're getting ready to go to Numbers chapter 13, so you can turn over in your Bible, if you will, to Numbers chapter 13, but I want to give you the, the story, the background leading up to this. The people, God's people, had been out of slavery, out of Egypt, you know, we're on this journey, they're journeying out of Egypt. They had been out of Egypt for over a year now. And so God was getting them ready. He was preparing them for the promised land. It's like training, like they were in training. And he's getting them ready to go. And he's given them, last week, uh, we looked at the Levitical law in the book of Leviticus, and he was giving them the, um, 
rules to live by, things to do, things not to do, boundaries to protect us. So he's getting them prepared to go. He had promised them. All right. So he, he had promised them this land. Remember, we can believe what God says. God told them, I'm going to give you this land. He's preparing them to go. Right? And he had provided for them everything that they needed from the time that they left Egypt. He gave them manna from heaven for that bread, bread out of the sky. Some would say, well, maybe there's a natural explanation for this bread. Maybe it was something that the land produces in that particular region of the world. But, it, but as you look at the story, like how can it, that possibly happen naturally? Because God gave it to them for six days, and on the seventh day, he didn't. On the sixth day, he told them to collect enough for the next day. There were just certain things about it that, that you would say, only God, right? Only God could have made that happen. He, he told them about what to expect when they get into the land. The uh, people that were going to be there and the way the land was flowing with milk and honey gave them this encouragement. And then, he, then he selected through Moses, like God spoke to Moses, and then through Moses he spoke, he spoke to 12 different men and told them to go into the land and to give us a report of what you find. So they were in there for 40 days and when they came back they gave them this report. So look at it, uh, Numbers chapter 13 starting in verse 27. They gave Moses this account. We went into the land to which you sent us, and it does flow with milk and honey. Here is its fruit. And they brought back fruit so big they had to carry it on a pole, like a cluster of grapes. So big they had to carry it. Two men carrying this cluster of grapes. And you haven't seen that at Price Shopper or any other store for that matter. Huge grapes. But the people who live there, right, they say, well, the people who live there are powerful and the cities are fortified and they're very large. We even saw descendants of Anak there. The Amalekites live in the Negev. The Hittites, the Jebusites, the Amorites live in the hill country. And the Canaanites live near the sea along the Jordan. Then Caleb silenced the people before Moses and said, we should go up and take possession of the land for we can certainly do it. Why was he so convinced that they could do it? Because God had told them that they were going to do it. God said, I'm going to give you this land. You, he can be trusted. We can believe what he says. But the other man said, we can't attack those people. They're stronger than we are. And there's spread among the Israelites a bad report. They started this, this little rumor going around like, dude, we cannot. These people are huge. I mean, look at the grapes. How big do you have to be to eat a grape like this? I mean, these guys are monsters. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. The land was awesome. God said it. But I don't, I'm just not so sure. And fear started to spread throughout the land. And isn't fear like one of the biggest demo, demotivating factors in our life when it comes to us to accomplishing anything good for God? Yeah, if fear keeps us from moving. It paralyzes us, right? Anytime you feel like, Man, I know this is the right thing to do. Maybe your group of your friends. I know this is the way I was when I was younger. I knew what was right. My mom and dad told me. I went to church. I was raised that way. And I find myself in a group of people. I was like, man, I don't think this is good. Probably shouldn't do it. But I was so afraid of what my friends would think. And I allowed the opinion of man to overwhelm the opinion of God. And I just followed them. So that's what's happening. They're spreading this word throughout the people. 
They said the land we explored devours those living in it. All the people we saw there are of great size. We saw the Nephilim. They're the descendants of Anak come from the Nephilim. And we seem like grasshoppers in our own eyes. And we look the same to them. Can I ask you a question today? Have you ever felt like a grasshopper? Now, I don't mean like the insect <laughs> with wings and like bouncing around, <laughs> you know. But have you ever felt insignificant? Like your life doesn't matter. Like you really have no purpose. You're insignificant. You, you're worthless. Who told you that? Who told these people they were grasshoppers? Where did that come from? Was that a result of the fear? Was that a result of them not believing that God really could do what he said he was going to do? Who told you you were insignificant, ladies and gentlemen? Was it your parents? Was it your friends? Was it your spouse? Was it your teacher? Your coach? And if we find ourselves listening to that lie, just like Adam and Eve listened to the biggest lie of all, we find ourselves making decisions and choices based on things that are just not so. Two out of the 12 men were convinced that this is what we're supposed to do. The other 10 spread this word throughout the people. You know that uh, God takes your identity, who you are individually, uniquely, very seriously. And when we allow other people to define our worth other than the one who created you, when we allow that unbelief to sink deep down inside and get rooted in our, in our being, Man, we don't live out the purpose and the calling He has for us. We just don't. We intend find, or instead find ourselves trying to live out and please those around us. In that case, we just find the lowest bar possible <laughs> and try to just jump over it. That way we feel significant. I just was asking myself, who told these people they were like grasshoppers? Why did they believe this? Even after they had saw or seen all that God had done in the past. Well, that night it says all the people of the community raised their voices and wept aloud. All the Israelites grumbled against Moses and Aaron again. <laughs> Grumbling. Such a common theme in the book of Numbers. They had bread from heaven. After a while, that wasn't enough. Like a toddler at Walmart. <laughs> the people... You can imagine this, right? On the ground at Walmart near the checkout stand. But I want meat. Give me meat. Because the manna wasn't enough. So what did God do? Okay, you want some meat? You know what it reminded me of? It reminded me of a parent saying, you're crying? I'll give you something to cry about. You ever said that? Any parents ever said that? Anybody ever had that said to them? He goes, you want some meat? Fine. I'll give you some meat. And so he gives them so much quail that it says before it was over, it was coming out their nostrils. That's a gross sight, isn't it? Once again, you never see that on Veggie Tales. Quail meat coming out of people's noses. That would be cool. But the people complain. And so God said, fine. And it says there were so many quail, it was three feet deep as far as you could walk in a day. Can I just say real quick <laughs> that thankfulness for what it is that you do have goes a long way with the Lord. Kids, old enough to hear my voice and understand what I'm saying. Thankfulness goes a long way with your parents. It's amazing the blessings that come when you're just satisfied with what it is that you have. And the people grumbled against the Lord, it says. They wept aloud when they heard these rumors 
of what was going on in this land that they were supposed to go and possess. And listen to what it says in 14, uh, around verse 2. All the Israelites grumbled against Moses and Aaron again. And the whole assembly said to them, if we had only died in Egypt or in this desert, why is the Lord bringing us to this land only to let us fall by the sword? Our wives and children will be taken as plunder. Wouldn't it be better for us to go back to Egypt? And they said to each other, we should choose a leader and go back to Egypt. There was an all-out rebellion against the leader. That had happened earlier in chapter 12 where... Aaron and Miriam had started speaking to each other behind Moses' back, and they were complaining about him. Sound familiar? Things are not going well in your work. <laughs> Maybe not well at home. You start talking to somebody else about it instead of going to the source. Instead of them coming to Moses and saying, Moses, what's going on? We need to work this out. They started spreading this rumor in the, in among the people. And you know, God did not, like a good father, sent some dissension in the ranks and God called them all in the same room. Moses, Aaron, and Miriam. It's like a teacher taking you to the principal's office with somebody else you've been in a little argument with. I'm like, we're going to get to the bottom of this right now. And it said when God was done with them, Miriam was covered in leprosy. And what did Moses do? Moses cried out to the Lord on her behalf to ask him to heal her. Man, what, a, what an amazing leader. Because here, once again, Moses is in a place where he can really exercise some justice. Like, Mary, you get what you deserve. You deserve to be covered in leprosy. You're talking behind my back. You know, sometimes, listen, even in church, that happens. We've seen it happen. Things don't go the way you want it to. You get disgruntled. Instead of coming to the pastor or somebody else in leadership, you start grumbling among each other. I'm not saying it's happened here. Hopefully it's not happening here. But my point is, is, if you ever are dissatisfied with something and something's not going the way you want it to, don't talk about it as far as like in a way of spreading rumors or grumbling about it. Come to the person and say, hey, I have this, this, this issue with you. This, this, you offended me or you hurt my feelings. Give Moses, like Moses had the opportunity, give the leader an opportunity to make it right. In your home, do the same thing with each other at work or whatever. Go to that person. It's biblical. You should go to that person. Pray with him. Pray for him. And then Moses was able to, to live out this, this incredible grace and forgiveness. And can I just say, forgiveness is fundamental as a follower of Jesus Christ. Ultimately, you, you've been forgiven. And God wants you to forgive those who have spoke out against you or hurt you in some way. I mean, it's part of the Lord's prayer. There's something powerful about that. Forgiveness is fundamental. So remember that. So back to this story here. The people are grumbling. They're wanting to go back. Verse 5 and 14, it says, Then Moses and Aaron fell face down in front of the whole Israelite assembly that were gathered there. Joshua, son of Nun, and Caleb, son of Jephunneh, who were among those who had explored the land, tore their clothes and said to the entire Israelite assembly, the land we passed through and explored is exceedingly good. If the Lord is pleased with us, he will give us or lead us into that land, a land flowing with milk and honey. He will give it to us. Only do not rebel against the Lord and do not be afraid of the people of the land because we will swallow them up. 
Their protection is gone, but the Lord is with us. Do not be afraid of them. There's that issue of fear again. It keeps us from walking in obedience. I think sometimes there's things that God is calling us to do, but God, I've never done that before. Can you imagine how Sarah was a little scared this morning, her first time singing in front of everyone, first time singing on the stage in 10 years since she graduated high school. But if she would allow fear to keep her from it, she would have never had that experience. Maybe God is asking you to step out and maybe it's a career change. Maybe it's uh, to share your faith or your, to encourage someone that God keeps putting in your path. Or maybe there's someone in your neighborhood or in your community or in your school. God is saying, I want you to, to bless this person. But we're afraid. And listen, I get it. Fear is very real. There are certain things in life we should be afraid of, right? There are certain things God puts fear in our heart to stay away from to keep us safe. There are other fears that are just irrational, things that are keeping us from moving forward. And in this case, they were so afraid, but they were telling them, don't be afraid. God is with us. You can read on in chapter 14. It's a great, uh, really incredible things to learn about God's graciousness and his compassion, his, his uh, ability to forgive and to, to oversee, or to help us overcome our unbelief. It's powerful. And then in the last chapters of this book, or towards the, I guess, the middle of the book, if you will, 15 through 21, it's a 38-year period of people wandering in the desert. They were wandering because that's the price of their unbelief. Because they did not believe, God said to them, listen to what he said to them. He tells them, you were so afraid of your bodies just falling dead in the desert? Well, guess what? I'm going to give you a yes. And that's exactly what happened. A whole generation of people who did not believe did not make any new promises. Their children did because God is faithful to fulfill his covenant. He's not going to give up. But he's like, if you don't want to be in on it, if you don't want to go, that's fine. I'll get somebody else to do it. And the people got exactly what they asked for once again. In, in chapter 20, share this with you. In chapter 20, Moses was told to give the people a drink of water because once again the people were whining and complaining and grumbling because they were thirsty and so Moses or God speaks to Moses he tells them I want you to take your staff that I've given you strike the rock and water will come out of it and the people will have a drink but you know what Moses did Moses did not believe God's word or no, sorry, sorry, let me, let me go back. I've got to set this up the right way. He struck a rock earlier in the story, in Exodus, to get water out of the rock. This time, God told him, don't strike the rock, just speak to the rock, and water will come out of it. So he gives him some specific instructions. And so he gets to the rock, the people are grumbling, and so instead of speaking to the rock, Moses once again strikes the rock with his staff, and water comes out. And you think, okay, well, that's cool. I mean, either way, the people got water, right? But God was not pleased with Moses. Because Moses didn't do it the way God asked him to. He didn't believe that God could literally just make water come from a rock just by speaking to it. Moses took the matters into his own hand, and he struck the rock himself. And you're like, okay, okay, so what, what about that? 
I think there are times, and I know in my own life, that I've moved ahead of God. So you know what, God? Obviously, you don't have this because it's just not working out the way I want it to work out. And so I want to just do this on my own. One of the, one of the phrases that I hate the most in the culture we live in is like, I'm just going to do me for a while. I'm just going to do my own thing. Just do you. Don't need anybody else. Just do you. You can't do that if you want. And I did me for a while, and I saw the, the terrible consequences that came out of my life when I wasn't living with Jesus, when I was just living my own way. So Moses doesn't do it the way God asked him to, and then Moses is punished for his unbelief. And Moses and Aaron both were not allowed to go into the promised land. Even after Moses did all these things, he was punished for his unbelief. And you're thinking, man, that is, that is harsh. God is a, he's a tyrant. He's a harsh God. Do you know, this week, Emma was telling me that she had a guy come into Lifeway, and he was telling, he's telling her, I guess it was her or some other people around saying, you know what, I really don't believe in the New Testament. You know, the Old Testament I get, because in the Old Testament, God kicked some butt and took some names. He didn't mess around in the Old Testament. We need some more of that, right, in our world. In the New Testament, oh, it's all about love and grace and, you know, just forgiveness and all that stuff. But man, in the Old Testament, when people messed up, they got punished. I don't think this man has ever read the New Testament. I don't think he realizes how serious God takes sin. I mean, you can see it in the Old Testament. There is a price paid for our unbelief. If we choose to move on and move forward and do it our own way and not believe in what God says, there's a price to be paid. And that's not a popular message in church today. It's not. Not a whole lot of people want to hear that. They don't. Because that hurts a little bit. Kind of gets into where we're uncomfortable a little bit because we see in our own life there's been a price paid for our unbelief where we've chosen to hold on instead of give freely. We've chosen to, you know what, I'm going to take it safe and not risk and do my own thing and not really step out of faith and watch God really use me and my gifts. Matter of fact, I'm going to choose my gifts to benefit me and bring myself some glory. But can I just tell you, God is a glory hog. He wants the glory. He does. And he deserves it. He, he, he deserves it. He deserves all the glory in our life. See, this guy probably has not seen in John chapter 3 where um, Jesus actually quotes a story from the book of Numbers, chapter 21, where the story is told that the people were, were given a plague, snakes were in the camp, and they were killing people because of their grumbling and unbelief. Again, that's a punishment for sin. It makes you just want to put your feet up, right? Look around. Snakes rolling around on the ground. In John chapter 3, you know the, you know the um, familiar passage where God so loved the world and gave his only son. Look in John chapter 3, if you will, and we'll finish up our time together here. I love it where Jesus quotes the book of Numbers. John chapter 3. 
I'm preaching out of my father-in-law's Bible. It's a great gift. Okay. Thinking about, man, God was so serious about sin and unbelief in the Old Testament that we get to the New Testament. Listen to what it says. John chapter 3, verse 14. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the desert, see in the story in chapter 21 in Numbers, he lifts a snake up until a broad snake up until a pole, and it says everyone who looks to the snake will, will uh, survive the plague. They'll live. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the desert, so the Son of Man must be lifted up that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. Okay, so if there is a consequence or a punishment for unbelief, there is a huge pouring out of blessing for belief. The other side of the coin. When we choose to believe, it says that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. And by the way, that made all the difference a few days ago when I was talking about my father-in-law as he laid horizontal in the casket. He knew Jesus. He looked to, the, to, the, to Jesus for life. And he has eternal life now. And that makes all the difference in the world. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. You don't think God takes sin seriously in the New Testament? He kills his own son because of it. That is pretty serious. He takes it very serious in our life too. And here's the deal. I'll just throw this out there to you. The greatest sin of all mankind is the sin of unbelief. Because listen to what it says later on. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because he has not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. God takes it seriously. In the midst of all of our failure, we still see God's faithfulness. In the midst of the story in the book of Numbers and leading on as the people are getting ready to go into the promised land and as, as they suffer because of their unbelief, there's still a faithful God who has a plan and a purpose for every single one of us. God always finishes what he starts. Maybe he started a work in you at some point in your life. There's a time where you said, you know what, I'll do anything for Jesus. Anything. Wherever you want me to go. And maybe fear has kept you from going any further. And you're still in that waiting or wandering in the desert in a hotel. I think it's interesting to think about this thought. Our life right now is God's preparation time for us to go into the ultimate promise. That makes sense? 93 plus years was Walter's preparation time to go into the promised land. Reality is, though, is not all of us get 93 years. Some of us might only get 35, 40, 19. 
So it brings us all to a place of decision, right? Are we going to believe what God says? Does he really mean it? Is he going to just get to the end of our life and he's just going to wink at us and say, it's all good. Just come on. doesn't matter really how you live. But when you read, whoever believes in him has, is not condemned, but whoever does not believe in him stands condemned already because he's not believed in the name of God's one and only son. Those are Jesus' words, ladies and gentlemen. You should take them seriously. And not to cause great fear, but instead to produce in us great freedom. The fact that I know that I'm, I don't stand condemned because of my faith in Jesus causes me incredible freedom to live this life. Freedom to know that if I blow it, and I will, and I have, he's faithful and just to forgive me when I confess my sin. He frees me from, and he cleanses me from all unrighteousness. Isn't that good news? Ladies and gentlemen, that's great news. I'm grateful that God takes sin seriously. I'm grateful that he is loving and compassionate flow to anger, bounding in love. I'm grateful for both stories, the old and the new. I'm grateful that he doesn't give up on me. He doesn't give up on you. Your story matters. You're here for a purpose today. Whatever you do with this that God has spoken to you about today, it's up to you. God is sovereign, and we all have a choice to make. So let us pray.